Welcome to the Thought Leadership Project, a podcast by Jay Harrington and Tom Nixon, exploring how lawyers can turn expertise into thought leadership and thought leadership into new business. Welcome to another episode of the Thought Leadership Project podcast. I'm Jay Harrington. Tom Nixon is with me as always. Hi, Tom. Hello, Jay. How are you? Doing well, doing well. Um, So let's dive right into it with our overrated, underrated segment. So it's this week, it's my turn to throw something at you. So this one will be, um, I think, I think something you'll, you'll have a lot to say about, uh, but we're going to go into the realm of sports. So yeah, we're going to go off marketing. We're going to sports. So um, Jim Harbaugh, head coach at Michigan football, overrated or underrated? It's got to be a joke. <laughs> Am I, I don't know. Like... I, I don't know. You know, you may have a different perspective. I'm, I'm guessing uh, what you're going to say, but I don't, I, we've never had this conversation specifically. No, well, without turning this into a sports podcast, which I could, I'm going to go against the grain of what most of my friends and I think what most of the Michigan community thinks right now. And I'm actually staying with underrated, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. I think um, when he came to Michigan, well, first of all, he had a, a you know, illustrious career as a player and then as a coach and was, you know, uh, Mr. Fix it. He would turn around teams quickly as he did with Michigan. So they were horrible in 2014. He comes along in 2015 by 2016, they're an inch away from going to the college football playoff. What's happened since then has been a debacle. And so when you look at it through the prism of 2019 and 2020, he looks completely overrated. And that's what everyone's saying he is. I still think there's a Jim Harbaugh underneath all of this somewhere that is hopefully kicking and screaming to come back out. He's the one that had the fire. He was the one that had the brilliant offenses. He was the one that was went out and found the best defensive coordinator in the land from a place called Boston College. And he was making it work for a while. He happens to be in a conference and his main rival happens to be one of the four or maybe only three juggernauts in all of college football, which is, you know, Ohio state. And that's what he's being benchmarked again, but we're not in the class Michigan. That is, are not in the class of Clemson, Alabama and Ohio state. And so whether he can do that, I'm still skeptical, but I still think he is being unfairly maligned uh, based on his entire volume of work. So underrated, um, Please don't share my email address so people know where to throw the tomatoes and get a hold of me. <laughs> All right. Well, now that we've lost 80% of our of our audience <laughs> having gone into sports, uh, let's get back to the topic at hand. But uh, you know, I would I, I that that did uh it struck my mind that you might say underrated. So I was really yeah. yeah, I don't know. I thought you're more you're a bit of a against the grain thinker. So yeah, I guess I like that. In any event, um, let's get to our guest today, and and we have an interesting guest, and uh, his name is Zach Needles. He's the editor-in-chief of Law.com, a website that I'm sure every lawyer is very familiar with. Before uh, this, he started his career as a business of law reporter in Philadelphia, and Zach has been with ALM Media for 13 years now. Prior to leading Law.com, he oversaw the company's regional brand. So Zach, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's a real pleasure. Um, and you and I met just to give some context. Um, I, I write a, a monthly column for Law.com, so you know when you started, we got to know each other, and it's been a pleasure working with you. And and it's now nice to be able to interact with you in a different context. So I'm I'm looking forward to having this conversation. Um, so I think just to lay some groundwork and and give people some foundation. Um, 
what is what does it mean to be the editor in chief of a publication like law.com like what is what is your role what does your day look like sure no that's a great question and especially with uh, law.com which is kind of a, a unique brand because it's really the overarching brand for all of our legal for all of our other legal brands so we have a bunch of regional brands from Connecticut all the way around the horn to Florida and around to Texas and, and California and a bunch in between and we also have national brands like the American lawyer which everyone knows national law journal so they're kind of all under the law.com umbrella and you know for a while there, Law.com was basically like a warehouse where you would kind of go on and you would just find stories, you know, picked from all the other brands and kind of all put just kind of slapped onto Law.com. And um, my job since I took over in uh, last June has really been to, you know, first of all, come up with some more original content for Law.com. So that's a lot of what I've been doing. It's just where, what can you get when you go to Law.com that's either you know, it either originated there or it's exclusive to law.com coming up with those ideas. So um, a lot of what I do, I do the morning minute um, newsletter every morning. So I write that at night and that's for every morning, but I also do a couple of other um, columns each week called trend spotter columns. And that idea for trend spotter is really a lot of what I spend my time on is looking across everything that we're working on at all the different brands, all the different industry sectors, um, you know, we have litigation teams, we have business of law teams, we have legal tech in-house looking at what they're producing and then kind of trying to find the through line between all of it and identifying trends. I mean, that's why it's called trend spotter. So looking at, all right, we've written a bunch about how hard it is to train and mentor young lawyers in a virtual remote work environment. And we've written about it from a bunch of different angles. So maybe I'll do a column where I'm pulling all those threads together, kind of trying to figure out, like paint a little bit of the full, fuller picture of what's going on in the industry. So that's a lot of what I do. I mean, certainly we have a lot of meetings. <laughs> There's a lot of different things that we need to kind of uh, go over in, a, in a, uh, any given day. But that's really, I mean, we still have that aspect of law.com where we're curating stories from all the different brands. But I really have seen it as, as my role is to kind of, like I said, spot the trends, and also come up with original ideas. So like I have a contributing editors group that helps me with that. And we come up with, all right, what's something that we can put on law.com where people know that when you go to this site now, it's gonna be a brand unto itself and not just sort of an amalgamation of all the other brands content, you know? Interesting, yeah, you know, I got my, I cut my teeth in this career uh, in PR. So, you know, back in the day, we were scouring the databases and the, the actual books that you would leaf through. That's how old I am to find out who, who's the right person to pitch. Right. And, you know, as a youngster, you always want to go to the top and you think, oh, editor in chief or, you know, and so you had to kind of learn that there's probably a managing editor that's managing that day to day in the editor to your, you know, editor, editor in chief. I know you do some of that, but your role, as I see it as an editor, is more like a big picture thinker, a strategist, kind of a more of an executive manager as opposed to day to day editing. Is that true? Yeah. Well, for my role, um, as far as what I do for law.com, I would say yes, I do edit on a daily basis, our culture reporter, which um, Karen Sloan, who mostly writes about legal education. Um, and then I also have a four member team called our rapid response desk that writes a lot of litigation coverage for all the different brands to feed all the different brands. So I'm editing them day to day. So 
I actually am doing sort of a managing editor role in that sense, but you're right. Yeah. For law.com, um, it is a little bit more of a big picture thinking type role. Um, so I kind of divide my time between those sort of the managing editor aspect of my job and more of the big picture thinker aspect. Well, let, let me uh, ask the big picture thinker in you a uh, question to, to think broader. I'm curious, some things are probably obvious in terms of how COVID has changed, you know, the publishing just landscape, the industry um, in, in a lot of ways. Everyone, right, says that COVID's kind of changed everything. But I'm wondering if you could maybe talk through what some specific changes are, in, especially those that you think might be structural and permanent, as opposed to cyclical and temporary. Sure. Uh, that's a great question. I think the biggest thing, I wouldn't necessarily characterize it as a change so much as really a reinforcement and an amplification of, of a trend that we had kind of already seen building, which was we are not really looked to exclusively for the news anymore, right? I mean, if you want to know how a court ruled in a case, or even if a law firm open a new office, you're probably going to get the press release. You're probably getting some kind of feed. If it's something specific to your practice area, you probably have written the blog on it, or you're getting, you know, you're, you had a blog sent to you, a link to a blog, or it's in a client alert or whatever it might be. What we've seen is that what readers really want is practical insights and information they can use. They want to know, why do I need to care about this? Why, why does this matter for me? How can I take this information and use it to my advantage or overcome a challenge? And that's something that we've seen, like I said, even before COVID, we were starting to kind of realize that's what readers want from us. But COVID really, really underlined that point because this was something that came along, blindsided everybody. Nobody really knew what they were doing, but I think lawyers really look to each other, whether it's law firm leaders or whether it's litigators, they look to each other for guidance and they, they weren't in the office either. So they didn't have that opportunity to kind of bounce ideas off each other in person. So they were really looking for, hey, how are my peers dealing with this incredible upheaval? And that just really underscored that concept for us that we need to be providing that information that is... It, you know, it's almost like peer review or, or, you know, it's, it's that information that someone can really use to, like I said, either become more profitable, win more cases, or just deal with these huge challenges. So that's part of the reason why writing about something like how do you train young lawyers in a virtual environment did so well for us and got so much attention for us is because nobody really knows people are learning as they're going along and they're sharing best practices with each other. So that's that was sort of the thing that I think stood out the most for me. And I that's not going away. I mean, we certainly are going to have challenges. I mean, once the pandemic's over, some of that will subside. We don't have we don't have Donald Trump in office anymore, who sucked up a lot of air and created a lot of confusion. Um, we're going to have it's a whole different landscape that eventually we're going to be moving into later this year. I Hopefully, if the pandemic starts to subside. But I think what's going to be left behind is that people are still going to want to know what are their peers doing and how can I get better at my job? How can I be better at networking? Um, you know, we are going to see remote work stick around um, more so than it had been. How does that change the business development landscape? Those kind of questions. And, you know, what we're learning is we need to be talking to people. So 
we need to be out there getting that kind of information from our readers to kind of feed it back to our other readers. Um, and that's, that's really it. It can't, you know, we say it all the time. We can't just report on what happened. We really have to explain why it matters and what you can do with that information. So I don't know if that answers the question in terms of a change, but it certainly kind of put the pedal to the metal on this idea that we had already kind of seen forming. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense, Zach. And I, I, I just, you know, that, that really resonates because I think it's, it is really about, you know, not, not what just happened, but like, why does it matter? And, and that's really, I think something that your platform can, can really tackle for, for this industry. Um, and, and speaking of this industry, I know a lot of our listeners are lawyers who, you know, might be the type of people who are interested in getting their own thought leadership content on platforms like yours or one similar to it. So really interested in your perspective uh, as an editor in terms of what you look for, like for from guest contributed content that a lawyer might be submitting to try to get published on law.com or maybe some of the other regional brands um, at ALM. What what makes for a good piece of content that that you see from from lawyers and and conversely maybe what are some of the mistakes lawyers make when when trying to translate their legal writing skills into more you know thought leadership content uh, in in that's that's appropriate for outside publication. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think really think about that phrase, thought leadership and what that really means. And, and to repeat what I was just saying, I mean, that's what the readers want. They want to know what are the best practices in this area? How are you, the author, dealing with this issue that I'm also dealing with? And we've seen, I mean, it can be very niche stuff. You know, it can be very wonky in the weeds, but if it's about a specific, you know, litigation practice area, let's say there's going to be an audience for it. And the people who care about that topic, it may not be all of our readers, but it's just going to be a subset of our readers that really cares. And they don't care that it's wonky. They want it to be wonky. So you don't have to worry so much about that, but I think, yeah, you, you have to really provide a takeaway here's why I'm telling you this. Here's why it matters. Maybe here's my experience dealing with this issue or what I think this means. You know, if it's something every once in a while, we'll get one and it'll be like, here are three employment rulings from the 11th circuit. And they'll just basically regurgitate those rulings. Here's what they, the court said. And then you get to the end of it and you're like, okay, well, what am I supposed to do with that? That's where I think uh, contributing authors can really kind of get ahead and get our attention is when they say like, look, I've looked at these rulings or I've looked at this issue and here's where I think things are going, or here's how I would approach this challenge. Just that the real practical insight stuff, that's how thought leadership is, is formed, right? That's how you become a thought leader where it's people read you and they say, wow, that's something I hadn't thought about, or that's, that's a really interesting idea. Um, and we, I think over the years, you know, the contributing content, contributed content's gotten a lot better at the, the quality of it. But that's what I would say. I mean, you really have to have a thesis, right? You really have to have a point to why you're writing this article. It can't just be a regurgitation of case law. Um, it really has to be some kind of practical advice um, and some insight in some way. Again, no matter how wonky, I, I don't would never turn something away because it was about a specific area of intellectual property law. 
even though I know a lot of other lawyers are probably not going to care, there's definitely a, a subset of our audience that's going to care deeply. Um, and so that's what I would say. Just have a, have a point, I guess, would be the, uh, the succinct way to say it, you know? Right, right. And I, I think that that's, that's great advice. And frankly, that will have a spillover effect because not everything you write is going to be published by some outside platform. Uh, there's a very, there's no barrier to entry uh, for lawyers to publish on their own law firm's uh, website or blog. Right. Um, but the practice of submitting your work to a gatekeeper at a publication with a great reputation like law.com is, is a good way for you to understand maybe how you need to do things differently and then translate some of those practices into all of the writing work you're doing. So I, I would suggest, you know, pursue those opportunities. They're beneficial for many reasons, but they'll just make you a better writer as a result. Yeah. And one of the muscles I think it helps attorneys exercise is um, the tendency to be overtly self-promotional in their writing. And I think that's fine. If you're putting out your own newsletter, you're putting it in your own blog. Some of that self-promotional thing is I think acceptable in those venues, but when you're submitting it to an editor, the editor doesn't, isn't trying to sell your practice for you. The editor is trying to solve problems for his or her readers. And um so that's one area that we're counseling clients, Jay. Um, but Zach, could you give us other specific advice for, you know, Jay mentioned the gatekeeper. Yeah. Getting to the gatekeeper with a pitch that resonates, that's going to A, get your attention, B, convince you that it's worth reading at least a paragraph of perhaps. Um, and I'm also curious if maybe there's nothing to this, but I'm, I'm wondering if you're more or less apt to uh, consider a pitch from a quote unquote PR person or PR firm, as opposed to being uh, pitched directly by an attorney as the content creator. Any thoughts on any of that? Sure. Well, yeah, let me start with that point. I, I would say not at all. Me personally, and I don't think any of our editors are necessarily have a preference, whether it comes from a PR, a PR firm or the lawyer directly. Um, I mean, we've certainly gotten pitches. Sometimes firms will have like outside PR people who clearly don't really understand the pitch, don't really know what it is that they're offering. Um, and they don't seem knowledgeable. And, and that can be like a little bit of a, a red flag. But but by and large, no. I mean, sometimes it really depends case by case. Some PR firms are really good at crafting the pitch. And sometimes it's better to just come from the lawyer. Um, we don't really have a bias one way or the other. I would say your point about not being overtly self-promotional is a really good one because we've definitely the few times we've ever really had to turn away a a contributed piece is if it, that otherwise we thought would be good and then we got it and we were like no we can't use this is because it was so self-promotional and you know the self-promotion comes from just knowing what you're talking about knowing your stuff that's the thought leadership aspect right if you Great can point. articulate that you're an expert here that you sell your practice without having to do a commercial. Um, and so, so yeah, that's a, that's a fantastic point. Um, but I would say uh, otherwise to get our attention, I mean, again, it comes down to what is your, what is your goal with this article? What are you trying to tell the audience? Why should the audience care? I mean, we talk all the time about how much noise there is out there. You know, you're looking through your email or whatever it is. There's so much flying at you, so much information. What, can we do that's going to make you stop in your tracks and say, all right, I got to take five minutes and read this or five minutes and listen to this podcast. Or at the very least, I got to save this for later when I have a few minutes and I'm, you know, I'm sitting down at eight o'clock and maybe I'll, I'll come back to this, but that's what you have to do. So it has to be, 
attention grabbing in the way, in that way, where it's like, you need to read this. If you're, you know, a trust and estates lawyer, you need to know this information. Um, so that's what I would say. I mean, the best way to do it, keep the pitches short. I mean, I think we all know if you see a long-winded email, no matter, it could be the best email ever. If it's long-winded, you're going to grow and you're not going to want to have to, you know, trudge through the whole thing. So I would say, keep it short and, and get right to the point of the pitch. You know, this person is an expert in this area. This issue is popping up more and more in this practice or in the business of law. And this person wants to talk about how they would approach that issue or a trend that they're seeing in that area. Um, you know, it's, it's not enough. I mean, we, a lot of times you'll get pitches and they're helpful for story source building sometimes. Um, you know, Trump gets impeached and you get six emails from different firms on, on partners who might be able to talk about the impeachment process. Like that's interesting, but we don't need six articles on that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, what we want is the more nuts and bolts stuff. Um, you know, how, again, how do you run your firm remotely? Is there still a place for the law firm office or the office in general? I mean, we have, you know, legal tech companies too, that we, that we write for, um, same issues apply for them, that kind of stuff, the really nuts and bolts stuff. If you can really kind of tap into here are the big issues of the day or the big issues in this specific practice. And here's something that I have to say about it. That's unique that's what's going to grab our attention. I think more than anything. You answered my follow-up, but uh, almost entirely, but let me just ask you two other quick, very granular questions. So you mentioned short and sweet. So my two questions are, one is, do you, do you like to see you personally, do you like to see things in bullet points? That's one question. So it's easy to look at and get the takeaways. And then the other question is, how much of the article do we share with you in the pitch? Is it the entire piece? Do you want to know that it's written? Do you want the attachment? Do you want a sort of an abstract and get your permission to send the entire article? So any of that specific advice would be great. Sure. I, I think I think bullet points are great. I mean, me personally, I like that. You know, it's just right. It's really easy to just kind of get to the bottom of what, what this article is going to be about. Um, I don't really require ever an abstract. I, sometimes people will come to me and pitch and say, hey, we can get you an abstract by next week. And then if you like it, we can go ahead with the full article. If I like the idea, I pretty much just say, let's let's go with the article. Write the article and send it to me. If the article is already written, I would say just attach it to the initial pitch. I mean, cut out the the middleman and, and just send it right, right away. Um, because I'm, if I'm interesting in, interested in the issue, I'll be interested in the article. Like I said, there's never, there's only been a few times that I can think of where the pitch sounded great. The idea was great. The article comes in and we're like, we can't use this. And every time that's happened, it's been because it's been too much of like a commercial for some company's product, a legal tech company's product or, or some firm. And the firm wants to basically relitigate a case that they lost by writing about <laughs> why they should have won yeah. things like that. Very self-promotional or, or, you know, just self-aggrandizing type things. Um, but otherwise, I mean, if the idea is there, we can work on the article, even if the article needs some polishing, you know, we can work on it together. So I would say if you've already written it and you're pitching it, just put it right there, attach it to the email. It's helpful if you can give a little bit of a summation in the, uh, in the email body of what it is, but if the article's ready, send it over. Um, I don't, I try not to make people, I mean, everybody's busy. I don't want to make people jump through too many hoops with abstracts and things like that. Um, you know, might as well just get right down to it. 
Zach, let, let's shift gears uh, for a moment in our remaining time. We've been talking a lot about writing and, and how important that is as a component of thought leadership, thought leadership marketing. Um, but obviously, there's other forms of content. And, and you're involved at Law.com in a podcast called Legal Speak right. um, as one of the one of the co-hosts. And I, I'm just curious as to, from your perspective, um, this idea of, you know, audio and its role in media, whether that be at law.com or just in the legal landscape, legal industry in general, kind of, do you have any thoughts on, you know, where audio fits in, in this kind of matrix of, of content that, that you guys are dealing with, that we're all dealing with as content creators and what the impact of that will be uh, in the coming year? Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's been really interesting to see how podcasts are received in an age in an age when people really aren't commuting to work for the most mm -hmm. part. Um, you know, you're not sitting on the train, you're not sitting in the car. Um, I think podcasts in general still have a place. I mean, for those who like to work out, I know that's a thing. People like to listen to podcasts when they're working out. People like to sometimes listen to pod. I can't do it personally, but people like to listen to podcasts while they're working. Mm -hmm. um, I can't listen to someone talk and also write at the same time, but yeah. some people do. Um, so I think you know, just in in the in the general way of life that we're in right now during the pandemic, it is kind of an interesting idea of like when do you when do you fit podcasts into your life? You know, I listen to them when I'm washing the dishes or doing like running errands or something. Um, I think in terms of how it fits in with what we do specifically, I've really enjoyed it because again, I mean, everything we do is geared toward really geared toward thought leadership at the end of the day. I mean, that's, that's really what it is. Let's talk to the experts and get their take on these ideas and these thoughts and, and sort of brainstorm with them on where things are going in the legal industry. Um, and I really find that a podcast can be a really effective way to do that, you know, in a, 20 to 30 minute burst, just being able to really dig into an issue with somebody and hear it straight from them, what they have to say. Um, you know, we just said we have a really interesting one that we're, that's about to come out. Um, Jamie Gorelick, who uh, was in the DOJ and Merrick Garland worked for her. She talks a lot about what the DOJ is going to be like with Merrick Garland at the helm. Really interesting and probably better than anything we would have gotten out of just an article because she really just let her kind of give her insights. And we've had other ones again on whether or not you need offices, what it's like to try a, a case virtually. And it's just really interesting to be able to pick somebody's brain for, for half an hour. And I think they've been really well received. I mean, I think it almost works. We've, we've done some of these episodes that almost work as in tandem or as like a companion piece to some of the written articles that we've done. And so it becomes almost like a multimedia experience where it's like, if you're interested in this issue and you've read the article, let's dive a little deeper with the podcast. So that's where I kind of see it fitting into that, to the landscape. That's interesting. So I'm going to, um, I guess, show my PR roots again, but I'm curious, um, going back to pitching or uh, positioning a potential guest for a podcast, right. um, it's different than the written word because I can't show you an excerpt and I'm, you probably don't want to listen to an audio audition from my client. Right. So right. any um, thoughts on how you, you know, best practices for pitching either a topic or a specific guest for a podcast? Yeah. I mean, especially with the podcast, we try to keep it really um, timely and just really deal with whatever's happening. So obviously like this week, we wanted to have something related to the new administration. It would be kind of silly to, 
ignore that um, for a, for a weekly podcast during inauguration week to not do that. So if you, again, I mean, I feel like a broken record, but if you can really think of here's this big issue right now, something that everybody is thinking about or a, a majority or a, or a big swath of the uh, legal profession is thinking about. And I have this person who that's all they do is think about this, or they have some really fascinating ideas. That's really all it takes. I mean, whether or not the person is a, a fantastic orator or, you know, has a, a voice for radio, it doesn't matter to us. I, I mean, we, you know, we could clean it up in, in post if somebody <laughs> has a tendency for ums and ahs. We don't really worry about that. It's really just about if you, if you have the qualifications and the knowledge and you've come up with something interesting to say about an issue that a lot of our readers or listeners care about, then you're in, you know, I mean, that's, that's, yeah. that's basically what it is. Yeah. The old, uh, we'll fix it in post trick is, uh, <laughs> that's, that's a, uh, a host dream in the editor's nightmare. <laughs> that's right. right. <laughs> that's right. Hey, well, I don't think we've had to edit too much out of this one. So our, our post great. guy will thank us for that. And we thank you, Zach, for being on the show today. It was great. This is my first time meeting you. And uh, it's great that we can meet in a format like this, like a podcast. We get to actually be on Zoom, see each other, talk to each other. So really appreciate that. Uh, before we let you go, obviously, people find the thought leadership and stuff and all of the brands, the regional brands and the subject matter sub brands on law.com. But if somebody wants to get to know you specifically or or more about law.com, where would you send people? Sure. I mean, uh, I would say the best way to to reach me specifically is probably just email. Um, So it's zneedles, N-E-E-D-L-E-S at ALM.com. That's the fastest way to reach out to me. But, you know, I'm on Twitter, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, If you want to know about what the legal speak podcast is all about. Um, you can find that on law.com. Um, yeah. I mean, any of the work that I'm doing, uh, as the head of law.com is, is right there on law.com. So if you look for my byline, um, on any of the columns, or if you read the morning minute in the morning, that's pretty much, that's pretty much my handiwork. Um, so yeah, but if you want to reach me directly, I would say email is probably the best way. Great. Well, thanks again, Zach. And, and thank you to the one or two listeners who, who hung with us after the Jim Harbaugh <laughs> diatribe and analysis, a uh, little off topic there, but Hey, you can blame Jay for that. So tune in next week where I will stump Jay with an underrated or overrated question. And we'll see what subject matter I pick out of my head. Thanks again. And we'll see you next time on the thought leadership project podcast. Thank you for listening to the thought leadership project. For show notes, additional resources, and links to the tools discussed on today's episode, visit thethoughtleadershipproject.com.